This is Anthony Arino, and you're listening to In the Arena. When I was publishing The Only Sales Guide You'll Ever Need, I was introduced to Lolly Daskal through my friend Bob Berg, the go-giver. Lolly volunteered to help me by promoting the book to her mailing list, as well as writing an Inc. magazine article, both of which were instrumental in helping me share the message of my book. I invited Lolly in the arena so that I could return the favor, especially because her new book, The Leadership Gap, is stunningly, shockingly useful and one of the best leadership books I've ever read. I invited Lolly here so she can share a couple of the concepts in the book that I find very, very useful. And that's the thing about books. I only read books now so that I can find something actionable that will benefit me and the people that I work with right now. And The Leadership Gap is just that kind of book. So this is my friend Lolly Daskal in the arena. I'm going to jump right into this with you because I think that this book is going to create tremendous value for people beyond what maybe I'm going to be able to get done on this interview, but I'm going to try. So I want to just start right out with this idea that leaders have gaps and that there is a concept called the leadership gap. So tell me about your discovery coaching people and then discovering that there was two sides. There was this massive gap between what they think and what what they think they know and what they really know. Right. So I've been doing what I've been doing for over three decades. And what I found is that some very successful leaders got to where they need to go, but then they found themselves that they were stuck. They couldn't take themselves to the next level. And it doesn't even have to be leaders. It could just be any businessman and woman that feels that they want to do something great in the world, but sometimes they can't get there. And what I found was, and this happened over three decades ago, I found that within us, we have a part that will lead us to greatness, but we also have a polarity within us that can lead us to our gaps. And if we're not aware of which does what, and we don't know how to leverage our gaps, it can cost us in our greatness. I hope all the names that you used in the book are not even real first names, but well, they're not. You're shaking your head. No, we're only on audio for the recording, but I can see you smiling. And I'm like, Jeff, Jeff, you know, I'm, I'm reading the book and your storytelling is so good. I get a picture of who these leaders are that I'm not saying that I could see myself in them, but I'm not saying that I can't see myself in them either. I mean, it's so humanizing when you actually just tell the stories of someone who's got super capacity to do good work, super smart, resourceful, they've got everything. And then there's still this gap that if they don't close that gap, they're never going to be able to achieve what they're really trying to achieve. And that's it, right? Well, you know, something interesting about what you're saying, and I want to preface this, most people think that they have to concentrate on their strengths in order to be great. 
But think about it, a balloon, right? If you're a balloon, your whole life is filled in this balloon. And one side of the balloon is your weaknesses. And one side of the balloon is your strengths. People say, okay, I'm going to squeeze down on my weaknesses. I'm going to hide my weaknesses. I don't want anybody to see my weaknesses. Guess what happens, Anthony? It comes out anyway, right? If you squeeze on one side of a balloon, it just shifts. So we have to understand that we cannot hide or mask our weaknesses. We really have to leverage them and work with them. It's interesting that you have that view because I think that makes now two of us. And when I wrote my book, you know, people always say, focus on your strengths. And I'm like, yeah, but the first chapter of my book is self-discipline. And if you don't have the self-discipline to to control yourself and manage yourself, all is lost. And and so you can't ignore these weaknesses and say, well, I'll just ignore it. And then if I ignore it, maybe no one will notice and it won't start popping up in every interaction I have with board members and all of the things that you describe in the book. So it's a beautiful, beautiful framework. And I want to dive a little bit deeper into that. I was thinking about dragging you through all seven archetypes, but I don't think we will be here all day and it'll be too much and people will go out and get it anyway. But I I want you to, if you don't mind, just describe the seven archetypes and, and how you think about them, because it's a really interesting frame that you found and where you found it. I mean, from your study is really interesting to me as well. But if you could just describe the seven archetypes so people get an idea of what's inside the book and what we're talking about here. Absolutely. So, Anthony, I want to just express something. People think that personal development is complicated. And I wanted to make it simpler for them because otherwise they wouldn't tackle it. And so I came up with a rethink system. Rethink is an acronym for the seven archetypes. And the seven archetypes are the rebel, explorer, truth teller, hero, inventor, navigator, and knight. But we have to understand that within these seven archetypes, there is a polarity. And if we're not mindful, they can cost us our greatness. So if you want, we can dive into one of them so I can talk about how the polarities are, what they are, what the gaps are. Let me, before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Can I be made up of more than one archetype? I am so happy that you asked that question. What makes this book so different is that we are the sum of all of these seven archetypes. These archetypes are situational. It really depends on moment to moment. We can choose which archetype we need to be. It's interesting. I'm going to have you probably start with the rebel just because I like that one. Although the other part of me, I've had a similar experience that you describe when we're talking about the imposter where I've told people when I work with C-level executives in, in a moment of truth, if I ask them, how long do you think it's going to take before people find out that you have no idea what you're doing? They always say, I'm so surprised no one's found out already. I don't have any idea how I've been able to get away with this this long. And when they're being honest, they all have this, like, more of the I had greatness thrust upon me, right? I found myself here. And then people are looking to me like, I have the answers. How did this happen to me? You know, and then they lead, but it's interesting. But I, I want to go with Rebel because I think that's an interesting one to play with. Let's chat about that one. So who is the Rebel? And then what's the polarity for them? Okay, so the Rebel is someone who is passionate about a cause, an idea, a product, a project, a customer, a client. It doesn't matter. They're just very passionate about doing something that is different. They don't want the status quo. But in order to make that be successful, 
they have to be confident. But I want to talk about confidence for a few minutes because I think it's very important. I'm not talking about having confidence by standing in front of a mirror and saying, I am the best, I am the greatest. That's not confidence. Confidence is, yes, it's believing you're able to do something, but I believe confidence is made up of your capabilities plus your competence. I believe that is what gets you your confidence. And so competence is knowing you're able. There's a big difference between believing you're able and knowing you're able, and your capabilities and your competence give you that. So if someone wants to do something magnificent in the world, the first thing I ask them is, what are your capabilities? What are your competence? Because then I know they will have the confidence to do what they need to do. But for every single rebel that does have the confidence that they need, there is a gap. And the gap is of someone who feels like an imposter who has self-doubt. And when that is true, it can cost you in doing the things that you want to do in the world. And my research shows that 99.1% of high achieving individuals suffer from the imposter syndrome. That's so interesting to me. Give me some examples of imposter, not imposters, but uh, rebel leaders rather that people would recognize. So there's all, first of all, my book opens up with the story of Francis Hesselbein. Girl Scouts, great, great story. Yeah. And one thing about Frances, whoever meets Frances knows that she's, I think she's barely five feet tall. She's an amazing person. She is someone that is all about doing great things in the world, but she doesn't view herself as a rebel. She views herself as someone who just sees an opportunity and she brings her competence to that opportunity. You know, I said to her, you might not think of yourself as a rebel, but guess what? You are a gentle warrior out there in the world that is doing great things. People, if you don't know Frances Hesselbein, Frances was someone who changed how the Girl Scouts of America created their business. What they do is when they first started out, it didn't have diversity. It didn't have that every single girl can find herself in the Girl Scouts message. Well, guess what? Frances changed the face of the earth when it comes to the Girl Scouts of America. And she is a rebel. She is a gentle warrior. And she did have the confidence and the competence to make a difference. Do you think that Steve Jobs was in that category as maybe the primary archetype? You know, I think of Steve Jobs as all the archetypes, right? Right, He's sure. the inventor. He was the rebel. One thing about Steve Jobs that I really want to mention that I think I bring up in the book is that even though you are a rebel, even though you want to make an impact on the world, you don't always know everything that you need to know. And Steve Jobs surrounded himself with A-plus players in order to be smarter than he was, right? He surrounded himself with people that were better than he was. And great leaders need to understand they are as great as the people they surround themselves with. It's interesting to me because I, I want to spend the time we have together getting into something that I think is really, really fascinating. And you're so smart in this area. I'll just have to tell people this. I you, I know you very little, but I do know something about your your character because we've had a couple conversations on Skype. And I'll just mention when I was launching my book and we just met, you went way out of your way to support me and help me, not knowing me very well. And uh, I'm super grateful for you for that. Putting an article on Inc., you went way out of your way. So you're a super person too. 
And I knew you were thoughtful and I knew you were a reader because we're, we're on video right now. No one else is. They're just on audio listening to a podcast, but you're surrounded by as many or more books than I'm surrounded by. And so we started talking about books, but you start describing the risks to greatness at the very beginning of the book as something that's lurking in the shadows. And I love that description for, for one reason, because I study a lot of Zen Buddhism and a lot of things in that direction. And in that area of development, there's a lot of bringing awareness to your shadows. And we call that shadow work. And so you see these shadows and you address them in the book by saying, listen, if this is what you are right now, if you're the rebel, then your shadow is potentially in 99.1% cases, it's the imposter. What is that shadow and how does that shadow manifest? And you describe some of the ways, and I think this is so important in the book, and I, I hate books where somebody describes something to you and they say, okay, so there's a shadow, and then they don't tell you what to do about it and how it manifests. And you're just straight on like, okay, here's one thing that's going to manifest like this, and it's going to manifest like that, and it's going to manifest like this. So when I'm reading that, I'm looking going, yeah, it's like a checklist. Like, yeah, I can do this one. I can do this one. And then that awareness, I'm allowed to objectify it, right? And so I can get out of myself and put it out and make it an object and then look at it in a different way. Describe those shadows for the rebel, if you don't mind. And then let's talk about shadow work for, for just a minute, because I think it must be part of your coaching. Absolutely. So I'm a, I'm a Jungian and Jung talks about shadow. He believes that within us, there's light and dark, there's greatness and gaps. And he believes you can't have one without the other. To create a whole person, we need to embody all of who we are. So our shadows are very much part of who we are. I think it was Joseph Campbell who put it best when he said, in our abyss, which is our shadows, that's where you find your treasures. And I think he was, when I read that, I was really onto something. I, I felt like this means something. I could work with this. I can, I can work with my clients who talk about their weaknesses in a way that keeps them stuck and they can't get to the next level. What is if we looked at their stuckness, their shadow, as something that we can propel them, we could leverage them, not as a bad thing, but as a good thing. And so that's what makes my work so different. When we have the imposter syndrome, let's talk about that because I think it's very important. How does it manifest? It manifests in many ways. It manifests in one way particular, when we are busy comparing ourselves to others. When I think about you, Anthony, I go, oh, wow, look at all the books he's read and look at all that. I read your newsletter every week and I go, wow, he's out there in the world doing all these great things. And sometimes someone can say, and I could say, oh, I wish I was doing all the things Anthony was doing. I want to be Anthony. I want to be as successful as Anthony. And so what happens is if we're busy comparing ourselves to others, all this self-talk in our brain, it makes us have negative messages. It creates a shadow within us. It doesn't allow us to be who I am meant to be because I'm busy wanting to be like you or comparing myself to you. And that's a shadow part that happens within us when we suffer from the imposter. You're going right back to the beginning when I told you how jealous I was of your writing. And you're just saying, Anthony, <laughs> I know you weren't coaching me. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that this these things manifest. And I think it's this awareness that you bring to them. And you do it in, I mean, I, I love your book. And you do it in a way that I think would be more difficult for me to do because you do it with a very, very factual, non-judgmental sort of let's point at it, let's look at it, and let's deal with it. 
without saying, okay, and, and I think this is important. I want to try to make an important point here. It is part of you, right? It's part of you. So you have the shadows. I have my shadows. We have ours. And they serve some purpose for us too. So it's it's not that being the imposter means that you're you're not confident, you're not capable. But what it says is there's this little self-doubt that you have that's probably a healthy thing. And in probably in some cases, you should ask yourself the question, am I the right one to be answering this? Or is there someone who has an insight that I don't have that could help me? And so if you can't do that because you have to be the leader and you have to be confident, you have to know all the answers, you're cutting yourself off from possibilities. And it's better to just take a look at these things and say, okay, this is the shadow that I'm dealing with. And it is part of me and it's okay. I just need to know how I'm going to deal with this when it starts to manifest. What do I do with it? Give me your, your, your thoughts on that. I think you said it brilliantly. I couldn't have said it better. So you know what I do with my clients and I do for myself? I create little rituals for myself in order to leverage the imposter. Can I share a little ritual that I do? Love it. Okay. So we are human, right? We do have shadows within us, but I think how to leverage them is by creating little rituals for ourselves and I call disciplines for ourselves in order to leverage that. So I do this thing every single night where at the end of the day, I think about all the things that I've done that day. How did I make a difference? What did I do today to serve someone? What did I do today to make an impact on someone? Because by creating these lists within my brain, it's almost filling up my arsenal in the same place that has all these negative about messages about who I am. Okay, you didn't do this today, Lolly. You could have done better that way. You're failing at this. We all have those messages in our brain, right? But what would it be like if we can fill it up with positive things about what we did? And then it would even out the keel. It would even out all these messages in our brain. So that's a first part of the ritual. But the second part of the ritual is even more important. I asked myself, okay, Lolly, you did this great today, right? You made an impact today. But what can you do tomorrow to be better than you were today? And by doing this little twist to the end of that question, I'm only measuring my own success from myself. I'm not comparing myself to anybody else. I'm taking myself to the next level. I'm asking myself, how can I stand in greatness tomorrow? And this little ritual that I've been doing for over 27 years has really grounded me in the aspect that I am human and I look for purpose. I look for meaning and I am the only one that can make it happen. And so I think that little ritual really helps us leverage the imposter within. Tell me how you help leaders address these. In a a coaching session, are you direct in bringing it to them or do you do it through questioning? What's what's your general strategy? Because I can see... I know a lot of leaders, I do a lot of work with similar types of companies and bringing that awareness, I'm just thinking about this can be tricky depending on the individual and you've been doing this for a long time. So you probably have some ways to do it that allow people to accept it. So I've been in my business for three decades and I think I have sustainability. Just tell tell everybody you you started when you were nine, just so uh, that there's clear (laughs) on the record here. I wish. No. So What makes me have sustainability in my business is I'm the one of the archetypes in this book. I am a navigator instead of a fixer. A navigator is someone that sees the problem, knows where to go within the problem, can come up with solutions. They're very practical. They're very pragmatic. And I'm not talking from ego. I'm insightful and I'm smart, but I don't 
fix my leaders. I don't poke at them. I don't say you are this and you are that. What I do do is navigate. I steer my leaders through a problem. I engage with them in a way through open-ended questions that they say to me, oh, Lolly, you know what inside I have? I have, maybe I suffer from self-doubt and I cannot do what I'm supposed to do. And then I ask open-ended questions. What can we do about it? Where shall we get better at? What shall we get better at? And so I am the one that is navigating, which is empowering, besides fixing, which is disempowering. Many, many coaches that I coach, they come to me and they go, I don't understand. I lost a client. I lost two clients this month. I lost three clients. I go, what did you do? He goes, he wasn't listening to what I told him to do. And I go, no, because you were fixing. If you want to work with someone, if you want to empower someone, you need to navigate instead of fix. You need to empower them instead of disempower them. You need to teach them what greatness is instead of leading from their gaps. Oh, you you and I are going to do another podcast because I, well, we're just going to have to talk about non-directive coaching approaches for leaders and not being the fixer. And I, I love it when I hear people say, I keep telling them what to do and they keep not doing it. And I'm like, then why do you keep telling them? Why do you keep doing it if it doesn't work? Because they should be doing what I'm telling them to do. I'm the leader. Okay, well, that doesn't, you already said it doesn't work. So wh where do you go? When did you figure out that you were a fixer and that you had to eliminate that strategy to be the navigator? Because that's your, the archetype. I knew the fixer from your book. So did you realize that early on that it, it was an ineffective strategy or were you coached out of that? How did you discover that? So being a fixer comes very natural to people that are smart and effective. It's something that, just comes, just think about it. It happens to me. It happens in my relationships. It happens to everything that I work with, right? Someone says, I have a problem. And the moment they say I have a problem, you go, okay, this is what you need to do. But if I really stop and think and look at the person that comes to me with a problem, I realize that they don't really want me to fix their problem. And it happened early on in a workshop. I was facilitating a workshop and people were talking about their problems and I was like, oh, I can tell her what to do. I could tell him what to do. And I was like, Lolly, stop. And I, I caught myself. I, it's like, I know the answer. I know the answer to this one. Well, you know, you know why? You know why we're a fixer? Because we want to be appreciated for who we are. We want to be validated for how smart we are. We want to be recognized for our expertise. So how people think you're very smart and you can be validated for who you are is because you fix everybody's problems. But even as a coach and as a facilitator, it was very quick that I realized you're only going to shoot yourself in the foot if you keep fixing these people's problems. Empower them to fix their own problems. You know, my company's called Lead From Within for a reason. I really believe that when you lead from within, you have the answers that you need. So think about it this way, Anthony. Let's say I have a problem, right? I go to someone to, to solve my problems and they want to fix everything for me. But the truth is, if they have the same problem I'm having, I would tell them what to do. We have the answers of what we need within us. We just need maybe someone to ignite it, to bring self-awareness that we have what we need to do and who we need to be. I learned it when I started doing workshops and I could come in and tell a group of people exactly what to do. And it would be wrong and stupid and we can't do it. And so I changed my strategy and said, I don't really know what you can do or how you would even do it. What do you think you could do? And they came up with the same list I came up with. 
it's the same list. But when they say it, they like it, and it seems like a reasonable answer. But when I say it, the hands go up and the resistance starts, right? And so you say, well, what do you think you can do? And they go, well, I think I could do this. And you go, okay, well, how would you do that? And then they go ahead and commit to what they want to commit to anyway. It's really an interesting flip for us. Can I make a point about that, which is even, even more insightful? So what I found is, is that I, t- I try never to tell people how, what, when, and where. You know, now I try not to tell people why, because why became very sexy to talk about. You know, I can't yeah. walk into a workshop without somebody saying, what's your why, Lolly? And so I found that who we are is more important than the how, the what, the when, and the where. Because I could tell you the how. I could tell you the where, I can tell you the when, but if you're not ready in the who you are, all of that will mean nothing to you. So this book actually talks about the seven who's you need to be, the seven leadership styles, the seven leadership people, beings that you need to be in order to excel. It's so smart. Let me close with another question. Why do you think it's difficult for us to see our own shadows? Why why do you think that we have these uh, scotomas I mean, you could see mine, I could see yours very clearly. But when it comes to looking at our own, it's invisible to us. And I'm, I'm interested in, in your understanding of why we have such a tough time seeing the behavior that other people can see so clearly. It's the same answer to the same question, why can't I fix my own problems? Mm-hmm. Why do I need to go to someone else to fix my problems? Because I feel like I don't have the solutions. It's the same thing. I think we're created a certain way that we need each other, that we can depend on each other. Otherwise, I think we would end up being these silos human beings that are living off in the mountains that don't need to converse with others. And I think we're created in a way that we should be sociable, that we could depend on each other. We should be able to communicate with each other. And I think that it's a beautiful thing because it engages us, it connects us, and it takes us deeper in our relationships. I don't want to be solving all my own problems. I want someone to listen to me and to understand me and to maybe come up with a solution or two and maybe help me navigate. I'll just say this last thing. One of the things that has served me well in coaching, particularly clients, I'll give you an example. I had a client who said, my sales force sucks. They don't know how to close and they can't negotiate. And I didn't say anything. And I just waited. And then he said, and it's our fault because we're not leading them. <laughs> and all, all I had to do is just leave him the space to process what he just said. And then I'm like, yes, that's it. You figured it out. And had I said, are you leading them well? He would have been like, yeah, sure. You know, of course we're having meetings. And, and you just need to give people the space to explore and they figure things out. That is a brilliant story. We have so much in common. I think the silence is where the golden is. That's where people are able to tap in and say, you know what? This is what's really going on. What is the release date on the book and where can we get it? So you could pre-order the book right now on the leadershipgapbook.com. And I have great bonuses and I have great gifts. Even if you just get one book, you get a free assessment that most of my clients usually pay $97 for. It's an educational assessment that really takes the book to the next level. But don't just get one book. Get two books, three books for people that you love, people that you care about. Because it's not only a leadership book, but the system of rethink can be applied to life. Otherwise, you can find me on 
lollydaskal.com or on Twitter or on LinkedIn. I think I'm the only Lolly Daskal that's out there. So connect with me. I'm pretty sure you're the only Lolly Daskal and I'm pretty sure you're the only Lolly Daskal we need. Your book is brilliant. And I would recommend if you are a leader and you have a team of managers or leaders, I would read it together. And I would have a conversation about when do we manifest these shadows internally ourselves and be super honest. I think it would be like getting probably your 30 years of coaching experience into a 45-minute meeting where people could start to take a good look at how do we lead and get a better result on the other end very quickly. Absolutely. The great thing about the book is it even gives you common language. So if you have a leadership team, you could be in the meeting and say, who do we need to be, the truth teller here or the hero? Do we need a rebel right now or do we need a knight? So it gives you a shortcut to a language that as a leadership team, as a team, as an organization, as a business, as a salesperson, this can really propel you to the next level. Lolly, you're brilliant. Thank you for coming on to talk about your book. And we'll put a link out for everybody to go find it. Thank you so much. It was an honor. Thank you. That was Lolly Daskal, and her book is The Leadership Gap. You can find her at lollydaskal.com, and you can find the book on amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, and wherever you buy books. Of course, we'll have links here in the show notes. I'm Anthony Anarino. You can find me at thesalesblog.com. You can also find me at youtube.com forward slash Anarino, where I post a blog every day and a video blog on YouTube every day in a show called Every Day. Thanks so much for being here and I'll see you next time in the arena. Audio editing and show notes by podcastfasttrack.com. Get 15% off your first month by mentioning this show.